In today's episode, we're going to be talking about five different kinds of worship and what it really means to worship God in spirit and in truth on Soul Zero Two. And welcome to Soul Zero Two. This is the podcast that is putting the oxygen back into the Christian life one soul at a time. And so glad to be with you today. And today we're going to be talking about uh, what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we're going to be talking about five kinds of worship, uh, specifically five different kinds of worship. And only four, only one of them are really any of any worth to God. The other ones are kind of uh, indigenous to our present day culture. Now, when I say worship, even though I'll be referring a lot to worshiping at church, um, I could also mean mostly the worship lifestyle, you know, living a life of worship, right? It's not just a posture, it's not just uh, an hour on Sunday, but it's it's the way you live. But uh, what I'd like to do is maybe talk to you about what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth, and why why it's so important that we that we uh, find uh, the right way to worship God. And um, so, as we as we look to the Lord in worship, right? Let's say. Um, we, we are called to be worshipers, right? That's one of our primary callings. And as we're called to be worshipers, we're also called to be uh, people who surrender our lives. Uh, this is what I mean by worship is more than a posture, and it's more than a, um, it's more than a posture, it's more than, a, than, than something you do physically at church. But what I want to focus on is five different kinds of worship that people offer God and the the first one looks something like this, and and we're gonna you know some of them are kind of like negative, so to speak, but hopefully we'll get to the positive one at the end. But the first one is called empty worship. Um, this is the kind of worship that people give to God, and this this kind of worship uh, deals with uh, the idea that uh, it could be skilled, but hollow, right? In other words, uh, this kind of worship can be known because. Uh, it has great sound, maybe. It has great energy. It's accomplished worship, which means it's talented, talented worship. But it has no passion for God in it. There's no life in it. And this is what maybe Paul meant by worship without love in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3. But in, in verse 1, he says, If I speak in, in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And this kind of worship is known because it is empty, it's hollow. It, it may sound incredible, but there's no real life in it. There's no real passion in it. And and then there's another one that we can look at, and it's called uh, empty worship is emotional, but but not obedient. And what do I mean by that? Uh, I mean that maybe there's tears of repentance, but no real repentance. Maybe there's an emotional catharsis, Right, that release people get when they cry and they feel great, but there's no real change of heart, and and uh, so 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 this is part of this empty kind of worship. But also an, another one I want to give you is this one. Uh, oh, here's a scripture right here, uh, and I gave you that scripture already. But here's a uh, here's the one here. Um, it's precise but passionless. And uh, let me move this so you can see that. Precise but passionless worship, and that means it's formal. Maybe it's it's well structured. Maybe it is uh, 
done just right because we're very religious. And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, then you risk that kind of temptation because we can become so controlled and so formal that we actually push God out of the way. And it could be structured and well-planned, and we can do the service perfectly and, and just do everything perfectly but again, there's no passion in it. If there's anything God wants in all of us, it's passion for Him, right? Uh, I can know all the rules of what's right and wrong. I can know my creed and my doctrines and my, you know, my my catechisms. And I can also even approach God intellectually. That's a form of empty worship, intellectual but but cold. And we can parse Greek verbs and and we can dissect scriptures. And do all these things with incredible professionalism. But is there life in it? Is there passion for God in in that word? And another type I want to give you, and this is uh, the third one, uh, is it's called this. It's called self-centered worship. And self-centered worship looks something like this. It's, it's more about me than it is about God. And you might want to call this spiritual narcissism. I'm the object God is the subject. Instead of God is the object and I'm the subject, narcissism reverses that. And, and instead of what, what's in it for God when I worship Him, it's more like what's in it for me? What do I get out of this worship experience? That's why sometimes we don't listen to our words when, when we say things like, oh, that worship service was terrible or that service was awful, I didn't like it. We, we're thinking the wrong way because we're not seeing ourselves as real worshipers. We're seeing ourselves more as self-centered worshipers. And that's where we find that that we always have to be careful when we go to God's house, how we see ourselves. And we'll get to that in a second, but but just a little bit more about this narcissism. God is seen often as, as a resource to tap, than as the source of all things that we are to adore and, and lay our lives before. And that's the big difference between Surrendered worship and self-centered worship. Self-centered worship begins with the wrong question. What do I want in a church? Instead of, where does God want to plant me and my family? Those are worship questions. And the self is is the first thing, when you look at it in the gospel, the self is the first thing in discipleship we got to get rid of. What I want is the first thing in, in the gospel that I have to surrender to God. Right? He says, die to yourself. But then there's another one I want to give you here under that, under self-centered worship. And that self-centered worship is centered more on how I feel about God than who God is. And we've heard great teachings from great people talking about how today that is often the truth, that even though we have great songs, there's great worship out there, there's also not so good songs that are more centered on on what it means to, instead of what it means to worship God, it's more like, let me just talk about how I feel about God. And some of us maybe might approach that like a feel-good movie where you walk away smiling, and that might feel like worship, but man, worship is way deeper than that. And while I share this, I I want to make a a caveat here that we need emotions in our service. We need to have lively, emotional service. But those things are not the root of it, right? There's, There's more to it. And emotions are beautiful. They're a gift from God, but they cannot transform the heart. In the end, they're only like a like a barometer that tells you what is really happening. And I think about some of the hymns of the church, uh, especially the one um, 
the one then then sings my soul um written by by uh i have his name somewhere but this hymn is so powerful because it, it, let, me, let me read you a couple stanzas i think i have one i can show you here too but this this song is just powerful because it goes something like this O lord my god when i in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout <clears throat> the universe displayed. And then the refrain then sings my soul, um, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And there's there's the name down there. And so what am I saying today in all this? That, that Have you ever been conscious are you conscious of your worship? Because this is going to bring us to the next one that's a big one. It's a big deal, especially in Western culture, especially in American culture. And that is consumer worship. That is a real problem in today's church in general, consumer worship. The idea of consumer worship is that, is that worship is, is uh, more of a spectacle, let's say, than than adoration, right? And if worship is more of a spectacle, then I go to watch the worship, not necessarily to engage God. I go to watch something and to be amused by something and to be uh, uh, tantalized by something instead of really going there to meet God. And this kind of consumer worship can be more focused on high energy experience and emotion than than on adoration. And this is why the, the scripture uh, says it beautifully, and I don't, I don't think I have the scripture for you, but but uh, the, uh, it was a scripture was given uh, by Jesus in Matthew eleven sixteen. I'll just read it to you. He says, "But what shall I compare this generation uh, to? What shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. In other words, he was saying there that that." God has done everything he could he could do and people still want more they, they still want to be tantalized they, they want to see more miracles they want to see more emotion they want to they want to be stimulated and they're missing the whole point of what it, what what it is to serve God and so but here's a, a under that idea of consumer worship is 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 this idea that worship that consumes God like a product and when when we consume God like a product it's like he's just something that we we kind of just use as a as a, a good service, like we use our mechanic or our doctor, and then once we're done with the service, we're done. We we go home, and there's no sense that we are walking in the spirit, that we're worshiping in the spirit, that we belong to him at every moment. And what do you do when you consume product? When you're done consuming it, you discard it, and maybe maybe that's how you worship. Maybe that's how I worship at the times where where God was just something I just used for the moment, and then I go home and kind of live my life separately. And sometimes we can focus only on the parts of God that speak blessing and forgiveness and prosperity. That's consumerism. That's consumerism in the church. It, it desacralizes what it really means to worship God. But what happens when God is seen only as a product? And somebody once put it beautifully that that uh, the Samaritans, I think it was A.W. Tozer, he talked about the Samaritans, that they had this heresy, they believed that 
they accepted maybe only the first five books of the Old Testament, and then they rejected David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, First um, and Second Second Kings, Song of Solomon, and and that that was the idea. The idea was this: that they accepted the Bible, but just accepted as much as they wanted. That's consumerism. Uh, we we don't accept the Bible. Uh, the the Bible tries us, the Bible says, right? It, it says it in the Psalms. The word of the Lord tried Joseph. Uh, God tries us. We, we don't just accept the word. The word transforms us. We, we submit to what the word says. And, and we find that uh, when, we, when we focus on these things, uh, I'll give you an, another one here that, that uh, we, when we have consumer worship, we also focus on just maybe uh, we worship it's worship that evaluates the experience. And imagine for a minute the Old Testament sacrifices that they were filled with fear and awe because God, for the first time in humanity, had showed up to his creation and he was dwelling in their tent. He was with them. So they were horrified of God. They had seen the thunders and the lightnings. So imagine the Old Testament sacrifice where a worshiper came with their sacrifice. First, the only place to offer the sacrifice was the tabernacle. If you went any other place, you'd be cut off from the congregation because God wants no other altars. He says, this is why the nations before you didn't make it because they had altars that were not my altar. And God is very exclusive in this, in a sense. So imagine, uh, instead of um, waiting for God to accept your sacrifice, that once you offer it to the priest and say, I'm bringing a lamb, let's say, and and, and and instead of remaining in awe and reverence and wondering if God accepts it, imagine if one of the Levite priests hands you a survey and says, what do you think about our worship experience here? Does that sound ridiculous to you? It's because it is. And don't get me wrong, there's a place in leadership for surveys. I, I believe in that. I believe that we should evaluate ourselves. But when it comes to our worshiping God, there's something about it that we have to give ourselves to. And Ecclesiastes has a very specific scripture that is spot on in this area when it says, uh, it says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than the sacrifice of fools. And that's a pretty heavy-duty scripture. And in other words, God wants us to be careful how we approach Him when we worship. Because when we, when we worship Him, it has to be the right way. And so here's, here's another, uh, another point that I want to give you today, uh, and that's this, bloodless worship. Bloodless worship is worship that costs God, that costs you or, or I nothing. And when it costs us nothing, it means that, that, uh, that we're just looking at what do I get out of this? And, and we don't think about the idea that, hey, what am I bringing to God? There's a scripture I want to give you that kind of encapsulates this, that in the scriptures, uh, there, there, was a, uh, there was a time where, where they were having the festival of unleavened bread every year, and God says, here's how I want you to do it. He gave them instructions, and then there's this little sentence he says that's almost disturbing. He said this, but challenging. He said, he said, no one should show up before me empty-handed. 
Now, this is not a, a scripture we read or should read to exploit people and say, give me your money for my ministry. This is, this is, not, this is not for that, okay? Any, any, anything like that is manipulative. But this scripture talks about the idea that when we worship God, we have to bring something to the table. What are you bringing to God's table? Are you like Cain that, that offered a bloodless sacrifice? Because this kind of worship we're talking about is, is worship that costs us nothing. And I like something Martin Luther once said. He talked about the idea that, that worship should always have personal pronouns in it. In other words, a lot of modern-day worship has no personal pronouns. Here's what he meant. He said that wholehearted religion lies in the personal pronoun. When the human heart cries with the psalmist, a prophet, an apostle, or mystic, it cries out, God is mine. When the human heart worships God and says, mine, God responds by saying, yes, I am. I am yours. And I can add to that that also, I belong to him. He doesn't just belong to me. But there's this ownership that is settled in that area. And, and so, imagine for a minute that your life is is going in, in this area of, of worship, and maybe you've never asked yourself, am I really worshiping the right way? But then I want to give you the last one, which is true worship. True worship, and I like what, uh, what John says there. True worship, God is a spirit, or God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And... What is he saying there? I, I like what Sam Storms talked about this. He wrote a great article on this, and it really blessed my heart. Sam Storms is a, is a great theologian and loves Jesus. And he said, it is the Holy Spirit, and this is the spirit part of worship, it is the Holy Spirit who awakens us to an understanding of God's beauty and splendor and power. It is the Holy Spirit who stirs us to celebrate and rejoice and give thanks. It is the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see and savor all that God is for us in Jesus. Wow! Does that sound transcended? Yes, because worship should be transcended. It should never be a casual thing where I just hang out with my hands in my pocket bored. There should be something that is lifting me up to God when I worship. But that's the spirit part. What about the truth part in that scripture? Right? It says, worship God in spirit and in truth. The truth part, again, something Sam Storm said, Worship is not meant to be formed by, by what feels good, but by the light of what is true. So what is true? What is true is what God says about himself and his word. And worship should be centered on that. What is true is my condition that without God, without God, I'm messed up. I'm just a poor sinner without him. That is true, right? And so what do you bring to the table, to God's table? Beyond high energy, beyond emotion, beyond self-interest and consumerism, there is something we can give to God. What is that something, beloved? It is this, our surrender, our humility, our adoration, our bodies as a living sacrifice. So if you find value in this podcast, if it has been a blessing to you and a challenge to you, I want to challenge you today to, to be a worshiper, be a true worshiper in Christ and 
And check out our, our website, soulzero2.com. You'll find articles and audios of, of all these podcasts. And check out our YouTube channel, uh, Soul Zero Two, and, and you'll be blessed by some of the things we put together there. Till next time, so glad to be with you. Until next time, God bless you.